If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter. Our time together this morning will be greatly helped by you following along in a copy of God's Word. If you do not have a copy here with you, we would love for you to reach underneath the seat in front of you or near you. There should be a Bible there. You can just pull that out, open it up to somewhere around page 1014. If you're not very familiar with the Bible, large numbers or chapter numbers, small numbers or verse numbers. And if you don't have a copy at home that you can read and call your own, we'd love for you to take that copy home with you and just consider that our gift to you today. You don't have to uh, give us any gift except taking that home, and we're just thankful that you've come to worship with us uh, this morning. I'm going to begin reading in just a moment in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. If you're the type of person who likes to write in your Bible, I'm going to encourage you in a moment to circle every time you see the word salvation. Peter has been writing to this group of people who he identifies in an odd way as elect exiles, people who are chosen by God, yet are living as exiles while they're here on earth. And as he's writing to them to encourage them, we read these words in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's grace, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials." So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And we ask, Father, that you would write these eternal truths on our hearts this morning as you mature us in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we are believers. But Father, for those who are here today, who are not yet Christians, we ask that today, they would hear the voice of the Galilean calling out through the pages of Scripture and that they would turn from their sins and trust in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for moments like this as we've been reminded this morning the great privilege that we have to be able to come together as the people of God and hear your word read and preached, to be able to sing praise without fear of persecution. We ask, Father, in all of these things that you would give us a great sense of privilege, that we would be thankful, and we ask now that you would help us, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see 
the truth of God as it has been decisively revealed in the word of God. And we ask all of this in the name of our God who has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. I have a confession to make. You're not the only one, Renee. And I am sorry for what I'm about to say. But when I was a kid, my mom loved the TV show Touched by an Angel, and I kind of liked watching it with her. Throughout the series, Monica, the angel, is tasked by Tess, her supervisor, with bringing guidance uh, and messages from God to various people who are at various crossroads in their lives. If the show wasn't anything, for those of you who are somewhat familiar with it, you know that it was a heartwarming show. But for me personally, as a young child growing up in a non-Christian home, it was intriguing, forcing me to ask questions like, are there really angelic beings? And if so, what do they do? Where are they during the day or at night? And what do they do if they're with their friends, if they have friends? What was speculation for me as a child is reality for me now because a biblical worldview informs us that there is more to life than meets the eye. Contrary to a naturalistic worldview that denies the supernatural and insists on reality being limited to sensory data that we can see with our eyes and touch with our hands, a vast realm of unseen exists. The Bible tells us a spiritual realm where things are actually happening right now as you hear these words. This realm is not some sort of science fiction parallel universe, but an actual part of God's created order. It's an unseen realm that we acknowledge the existence of every single time that we confess the words of the Nicene Creed together. One God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. We're not told a lot about it in the Bible, but sometimes the curtain is pulled back and parted, and we are given a glimpse from which we can draw conclusions about angels and their purposes. Angels are depicted as messengers, guardians, warriors, all at the bidding of God. Gabriel announced to Mary that she would be with child by the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament holds out numerous examples of angels bringing messages from God in anticipation of his purpose and plans. The psalmist tells us that angels have a role in exercising the care of God and prompts us to wonder about their unseen reality surrounding us. Psalm 91, verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Hebrews 1 makes considerable mention of angels, closing with reference to their divinely appointed role as ministering spirits to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. But when we come to 1 Peter, we get an unusual picture of angels in the Bible. Not of what they're doing as messengers or guardians or warriors or ministers, but of what is occupying their attention, of what they are thinking about, of what they are talking about amongst themselves. And as we'll see today, it is the stuff of salvation. Three points will frame our study this morning. Recipients of grace the recipient of suffering, recipients of the gospel. Notice first, recipients of grace. Look again in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. The link between verse 9 and verse 10 is the word salvation, verse 9. 
obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, verse 10, concerning this salvation, which really is not surprising if we're careful readers at this point in this letter, especially when we consider, once again, who Peter is writing to, elect exiles, Gentile Christians who have been ostracized and alienated for their faith, Christians who have been misrepresented and mischaracterized and slandered by their persecutors, Christians who now need a reason to continue in the faith once for all delivered for the saints because they are facing opposition and things are not working out the way that they expected them to as the people of God. So Peter comes alongside them through this letter and he wants to encourage them. Instead of chastising them for their doubt and their despair, Peter begins his letter by encouraging them with the truth of salvation, and in so doing, actually teaches all of us in this room something about the dominant tone of Christianity. It is to be one of encouragement. Brothers and sisters, for those of you who spend any time discipling others or investing in people, it is so much easier to rebuke people than to encourage people. It is so much easier to chastise people toward change than it is to encourage people toward change. As any parent knows, it is much easier to discipline than it is to disciple. And I think parents should discipline their kids. But what we see, a dominant tone in Christianity, instead of rebuking them for their unbelief, or chastising them for their despair, or reminding them of how foolish they were, the certainty of God's promises, he encourages them with the gospel. Peter chose a more difficult path, and so must we. Encourage one another by focusing on the truth of salvation. But if we're going to imitate Peter in this encouragement, what aspect or aspects of salvation did he focus on? What truth or truths did he highlight in regards to this salvation? Peter tells them that the salvation believers experience now that will be realized in the future was also prophesied in the past. Look in verse 10. The prophets who prophesied. The prophets who prophesied are all of the Old Testament prophets. They were the ones who, verse 12, spoke about the things that have now been announced or declared or preached to these people, to these Christians. Peter tells them that believers live in the days when the promises of salvation are being fulfilled and that salvation that Peter tells us about is described, verse 10, as grace. Look at verse 10. The prophets who prophesied about the grace... Now, if you like to underline in your Bible and draw lines, underline grace, and then just draw a line over to the word salvation, and then underline that. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Grace is all that God gives to believers. And Peter has been talking about this grace in all of these verses. It is a living hope. It is an inheritance. It is a salvation. Are your anxious thoughts filled with despair so that you are worried today? Peter tells you that if you're in Christ, you have a living hope. Do you feel like a vagabond living somewhere but belonging nowhere? If you are in Christ, Peter tells us that God has graciously given you an inheritance. Have you ever considered or wondered what will happen to you after you die? If you are in Christ, 
Peter tells us that God has graciously given you salvation from sin, from judgment, from wrath, from hell. Grace is all that God gives to his believers. Grace is all that God gives to his children. Grace is what he pours out on us richly by faith in Jesus Christ. God does not treat us as our sins deserve. He has been gracious. Such grace has come to them, and brothers and sisters, such grace has come to you if you are in Christ. Peter tells these Christians that they experienced what the Old Testament prophets searched about and inquired carefully into, that they wanted to know more about. They pursued it ardently. They searched for it diligently. They investigated it carefully, but they never experienced the gracious salvation about which they prophesied. Now, why is Peter telling them about this? Because you can imagine their experience. What use are verses three through nine about all of this salvation and all of this wonderful kindness of God if what I experience this side of eternity is unkindness? Who cares about all of these wonderful promises if my life is a living hell on earth? What is the benefit of trusting in Jesus if my days are filled with doubt and sorrow and despair? Peter tells them, You have experienced something that other people long to experience. They searched for it. They inquired carefully into it. You are uniquely blessed in a way that people before you wanted to be blessed. You have something more, more firm, more real, more tangible that they never could put their hands on, that they were never able to see with their eyes. And if you would have asked them, what is your only comfort in life and death? they would not have been able to answer with you that I am not my own, but belong with both body and soul, both in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. For those of you who are struggling in sin today, you have been set free. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. For those of you who are suffering, not a hair of your head goes unnoticed. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Peter tells these believers that they are actually the fulfillment of prophecy as the recipients of grace. But how did they become to be be the recipients of grace? Recipients of grace, notice second, the recipient of suffering. Look at verse 11. Inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Peter continues to emphasize the predictive ministry of the Old Testament prophets by once again highlighting in verse 11 basically the same thing that he highlighted in verse 10, that they did not live in the days of fulfillment when he says, verse 11, they were inquiring which or what sort of time was being referred to in their prophecies. Because the focus in verse 10 and 11 is on this temporal difference between Old Testament saints and these New Testament believers, between these Old Testament prophets and between these elect exiles, we're able to see what the ESV translates as a pronoun who 
is better translated as an adjective, which, to stress that the Old Testament prophets did not know when the prophecies would be revealed. They knew that they were speaking about the Messiah. They did not know when he would come. And as you can imagine, they all wanted to be there when it happened. They knew that they were prophesying about the hope that was to be fulfilled, but they did not know when it would be fulfilled. So they longed and they searched and they were trying to figure out, when will this take place? Will my eyes see it? Will my ears hear it? Will we be a part of it when the end of all things comes about? Peter encourages these tired and weary and worn out Christians by reminding them of their privileged status. They, like you, live in the days of prophetic fulfillment. Friends, when following Christ is hard, when trusting Jesus Christ is difficult, when your life is filled with sorrow and sadness, as our brother shared for us earlier this morning, and the reminders come each and every week just when you sing songs on a Sunday, comfort yourselves with the fact that you too live in the days of fulfillment and therefore receive those Old Testament prophecies and these New Testament writings as God's grace to you. Peter tells us those prophecies and this grace are not the inventions of the prophets. They're not even simply their best guess after they're examining all of the data that they had because they were revealed, verse 11, by the Spirit of Christ, who Luke identifies in Acts chapter 16, verse 8, as the Spirit of Jesus, And Paul identifies in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, as the Spirit of Jesus Christ, and we call the Holy Spirit. And what is the content of the Spirit's revelation? Verse 11, the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Peter is encouraging these believers, these beleaguered and battered believers, with revealed truth about Christ's death and resurrection about his work on the cross and resurrection from the dead for us and for our salvation. Because their enemy and our enemy, the devil, is a purveyor of lies, telling them that they do not matter in the midst of suffering, telling them that they are forgotten by God because their life is filled with sorrow. Satan tactics then and now include deception and temptation and accusation. He's coming after them the same way that he comes after you. He is accusing the brethren and prosecuting the offenses of their sin against them and against us as we hold our lives to the plumb line of God's law. But Peter tells us in Christ, What we see in the Bible here is that those offenses are removed from our record. By his suffering, he atones for our sins. He purges our guilt. Though the sin is our sin and not his sin, the guilt becomes his. And we, by his grace, are declared not guilty, not because the Holy God simply pardons us, but because he paid the debt of our sin in his son, Jesus Christ. And as a result, the accuser, has no accusation or ammunition left against you. All of it is satisfied in Christ. When they're doubting and despairing and filled with sorrow and questioning their very salvation, Peter goes all the way back to remind them not only do they have an ancient faith, but he reminds them of the truth that they need to believe, the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories for you. The very thing that we would think How big a deal is this 
when there is pain. Peter says, that is the very thing that you need to focus on in your pain because God is a God who knows what it's like to feel pain and he felt it for you. He suffered for you and he died for you so that the day would come that you would know eternal comfort. You'd be reminded of it now and you would experience it for all of eternity. Peter tells them that the salvation believers experience now that will be realized in the future was also prophesied in the past. And then he grounds them and us in the words of the Spirit of Christ about the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories in the face of doubts and sinful delights to communicate to us that we are the recipients of grace because Christ was the recipient of suffering and to encourage us to persevere because our experience of, as believers is the same as our Savior. Suffering precedes glory. Crucifixion pain precedes resurrection glory. Then and now, recipients of grace, the recipient of suffering, notice third, recipients of the gospel. Look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Old Testament prophets long to see and experience the fulfillment of what they prophesied about, but Peter tells us that God revealed to them that their ministry of prophecy and foretelling would not be realized in their day. Their ministry was not directed to themselves or to their own generation, but Peter's readers and all those who live on the other side of the resurrection of Christ. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And who revealed this to them? Verse 12, in the things that have now been announced to you, through those who preach the good news to you, reminding us, where's this good news coming from? This good news at this time that he's referring to is the Old Testament prophets. Letting everybody else know, do you want to find the good news in the Bible? You're gonna find it in the New Testament, but you're also gonna find that good news in the Old Testament because all of that Old Testament revelation is pointing to the person of Christ, which is why on a Sunday morning as Christians, we can read from the Old Testament and says, say, that's our story. That's for us. Those are our promises. This is about our salvation. This good news that was preached to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. To say that the Spirit is sent from heaven is a reminder of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out on the church to bear witness to Jesus Christ and an, an indication of the authority of the New Testament message. Because in this moment, Peter takes the New Testament message and he sets it on the very same plane as Old Testament prophecy. And he says, they are one and the same as author in authority. And they are both preaching good news to you. There's hope for you. There's good news for you. There's an announcement for you. There's good news of great joy that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to take the curse of the law away from you. And now there can be rejoicing. This time of year is a reminder to us of what we all suppress and are so prone to forget, 
that there is good news and it is the best news that you will ever hear. Though you deserve to go to hell, though you deserve infinite wrath, though God should judge you for all of eternity, he has sent his son to die on the cross so that you might have everlasting life. What are you hoping in this morning? And what are you looking forward to this Christmas season? And what is it when you are suffering that you look to to give you comfort? And what is it when you're reminded of the sadness and sorrow of this life that you appeal to? Peter says, appeal to this. Remind yourselves of this. And remind yourselves of how blessed you are to be on this side of the resurrection, to have all of those pieces now put in place. All right, now think about their life for a moment and think of yours. There are all of these pieces that are, as your life is happening, you're like, you don't see how they're coming together because we're living right here. And God is, is making something more beautiful than you could ever imagine. Peter's telling us that we have an advantage as believers because they lived not seeing how all of the pieces of redemption come together, but we now see them in Christ. We're able to step back and see the fulfillment of all of these promises in Christ. Sure, there are lots of things in our life that we don't know. What will tomorrow bring? What will next week bring? What will next year bring? What will happen when we're 42 or 62 or 82? Will our kids love us and remember us or will they reject us and hate us? Will we be able to keep our job? Will we be people who are going about to and fro as vagabonds this side of eternity? Will we die of cancer? Will we have Alzheimer's? Will we be forgotten in a hospital? Will we be buried in a borrowed tomb? We don't have answers to all of those questions, but you have a steady hope that Jesus Christ has done something for you that you can never do for yourself. And in the most uncertain and difficult of days, God is comforting you by letting you know that a day is coming when eternal comfort will be realized. It is actualized now, and it will be realized for all of eternity. And that should give you hope. And Peter is saying, how blessed are you how wonderful it must be to be you because all of these people long to see what you now see and didn't get to see it. It sounds an awful lot like Jesus. Matthew 13, verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Some of them, like Simeon in the temple, waited their whole life for one moment so that he could say, this child is the fulfillment of all that I've been longing for. Do you believe that you are blessed? Do you consider yourself privileged? Peter tells us believers then and now stand in contrast to angels. For those angels long to glance and reflect upon these truths, verse 12, things into which angels long to look. Angels may be greater in power, but, they, but in Christ, they are not greater in, in privilege because we have something that they do not have. Jesus did something for us that he never did for them. Both angels and people have a creator, but only we have a redeemer. So if you could somehow talk to an angel and ask him, what is on your mind? He would say, the very fact that you have a redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, that is how much God loves you. 
As one pastor noted, when the devil drew a third of the angels after him, God said, let them go. But when the devil drew God's human children after him, God said, I want them back. And by my holy name, I will have them back, whatever it takes, even the death of my son. The devil and his angels are a constant and standing reminder to us that God does not owe salvation to anyone. It is by God's grace. When they rebelled against God, he did not lift a finger to redeem him, and he was righteous to do it. And we have received an invitation that they have never received. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to the waters and drink without price. Come, take and eat. Come and feast, believe and hope. The Old Testament prophets saw it from afar. The angels marvel when gazing upon what God has done in Christ, but Peter's readers actually experience it, and their salvation brings hope because they stand in a privileged place in history, the other side of the cross and resurrection. If you are not a Christian, you are hearing a message that we say is the basic message of the Bible, and we're here to tell you today is the message that will save you if you will repent of your sins, that is, turn away from them and trust in Jesus Christ by faith. It is a simple message you are a sinner. It is an unbelievable message. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it is a precious message because he promises us, though you sin, if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Come to him. He will never cast you out. And believers, count yourself blessed and privileged today. They now see what the prophets long to see, and therefore they should praise God despite their suffering in this present time because their future is secure and brighter than they could ever imagine. Though there is a suffering community, Peter begins with praise because they have been welcomed as the very people of God. Just a few points of application for us today. First, consider the benefits, privileges, and blessings of salvation as a way to help us when we are prone to despair. The benefits, privileges, and blessings of salvation when we are prone to despair. Because I can imagine these people being just like us. What are the, what's the point if life is this hard? And Peter holds up the beauty of the gospel and says, these are the things to meditate on. Second, covenant community. By God's grace, We have been brought into the company of the people of God, not saved to ourselves, but drafted in and engrafted in and enfolded into a company of his people. We are now brought together as the people of God. Third, delight in revealed truth. One of the best things that you can do is go home with that worship bulletin. We don't just print those so that you have something when the words go out on the screen. We print those as a way for you to have something to use as a devotional tool throughout the week. We'd love for you to go home and take that and just start making connections between what was preached on Sunday morning and what was read on Sunday morning and what was sung on Sunday morning and then begin to consider the links between Old Testament readings and New Testament readings and old songs and new songs, and how they're all pointing us to the fulfillment of all of these promises in Christ. How this revealed truth is what believers throughout the ages have been delighting in. We're fascinated by angels. But Peter tells us that angels are fascinated with us because God has done something for us that he never did for 
for them. And this season of the year in particular reminds us of that. That in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. And we pray that you'd help us to believe what we don't. That you are near us in our suffering. And that you are good despite our suffering. And that the gospel is enough for us in the midst of our suffering. Father, we pray that you would help us to believe the truth of the gospel. And to never get tired of preaching it, praying about it, singing of it, reminding ourselves of it. Or being driven deeper into it. That we might revel in the beauty and the glory and the grace of the gospel. Father, we pray that you would help us because like these elect exiles, we are wandering on this earth and at times it is difficult. And at times, if we're honest, we are prone to despair and want to quit. And Father, we thank you that you have given us scriptures, scriptures like this, to remind us of the privilege that it is to be the people of God and the wonderful blessing that we have to be able to hear the word of Christ preached And the wonderful delight that it is to be considered one of your children and be able to continually respond with deeper faith and deeper repentance. Father, for those who are here today, who are perhaps hearing afresh for the first time, what God has done for us, we ask, Father, that you would write the truths of the gospel on their hearts that you would remind them of the beautiful truths that we celebrate this time of year, that Emmanuel, God with us, has come to save us from our sins. And Father, we pray that you would save them, that you would do the good work of redeeming grace. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus, the mighty friend of sinners. Amen.